So, we continue in our series. We're about like Sermon 24, um, and we've been doing it over two or three years. So, we, we, we go a bit and then we come back. But it's, it's the Walk as Jesus Did series in which we believe that the life Jesus lived, the ministry he conducted, the love he displayed, the forgiveness he extended, the, the prayer life and communion that he enjoyed with the Father by the Holy Spirit, all those things are actually in the, the lesson plan for the rest of us. But one of the things that clearly we're looking at is community and mission. And, and last week we looked at, how, at their confluence. In other words, how they come together and actually at their synergy. Uh, mission creates the community of Jesus and the community of Jesus is always defined by the mission of Jesus. Um, but we want to kind of lean into the mission side this morning. We're going to come back and look then uh, next week. Uh, no, I'm on my bicycle next week, quite literally. Um, <laughs> a little bit later after, we're going to look at how the very mission itself is shaped by the awareness of community. Jesus knows that sometimes our sociology, our ways of relating, actually defeat our missiology. So we're going to look at that a little bit. But what we want to just look at this morning is the plain movement into mission. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 10 uh, from verse 5. But I need to set the scene a little bit for you. In this, that Jesus himself has been going through all the towns and villages. You read it at the end of Matthew chapter 4, preaching the good news, uh, uh, teaching the kingdom, healing disease and sickness. And you see that repeated in a literary te technique called inclusio at the end of chapter 9. And then, so Jesus, as it were, demonstrates what kingdom looks like. He declares it and then he demonstrates it. It's kingdom in word and his works. And actually, you could also say and in wonders because it's kingdom coming in miracle power. And so you get his teaching from, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then you get kind of what this actually looks like in everyday life. Um, and, and we might be tempted to say, well, it's the everyday life of Jesus. Well, then Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers, if you ask the Lord of the harvest, and then he turns <clears throat> to his first harvest, his own circle of the 12 disciples, and, uh, and he sends them out with the following instructions, verse 5. Do not go among the nations or into any towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. Why? Because the worker is worth his keep. Now, um, I want you to just listen to uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this one. He says, uh, when, it, when you start with freely you've received, he says, you've been treated so generously. Now live generously. Don't think you have to put in a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. All you need are your three meals a day, so travel light. So I've got a couple of questions for us. Um, the first is, and you can turn to the person who's not your husband or wife on either side of you, um, and ask and, uh, or, or, or discuss this maybe. Um, 
What's the difficulty with these instructions in verses 7 and 8? You know, the uh, heal, verse 8 especially, heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, etc. What's the difficulty? Just, like I, I mean, I know, and, and yeah. seriously, I respect the fact that, yeah. you know, have you answered it? Anyone come yeah. up with it? What's the, what's, what's the problem? What's the difficulty? Can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like it's like the the passage is not complicated. The problem is it's downright impossible. And and maybe you are this morning and you think, oh, these religious people, you know, like whatever. It's not complicated. It's completely impossible. And we need to kind of weigh with that. Now, now, where would Jesus have got this idea? Ask the person who's not your husband or wife on the <laughs> other side of you. Where would Jesus have come up with this idea of heal the sick, da, 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 you know, help the lepers, receive those who are outcasts? Like, just where do would this. He come up with this idea? How on earth would he have thought about this? Indeed, yeah. from God. <laughs> yeah. Isaiah 61, it's what his father sent him to do. Yeah. Why would he have? It lies in that thing as you go proclaim the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is way back in Genesis chapter 1, where, where the kingdom of God is explained. Let us make people in our own image. And then God did it. And at the end of it, he said to them, Now you rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the land, and all that is on it. And he entrusts his rule to the stewardship of people on the earth who know and submit to him. And so his kingdom since Genesis 1 was always intended. And we've been entrusted with the glory of knowing God and bringing his will on the earth. Right. To the earth. To all creation. Like it's, it's not just getting people forgiven and ready for heaven. As wonderful as that is, and I'm not about to dispense with that, but you can end up with what is called reductionism, where you lose the full vision of the kingdom. Jesus wants people to proclaim the kingdom, and there's something about a grand scope that brings healing and hope and transformation and change. So our challenge this morning is, as we think about moving into mission, that we don't redefine our calling to make it something we have the power to do. That's going to be a problem. If we redefine our role as something we have the power to do. Like seriously, Gus doesn't have the power to heal anyone. I mean, come on, we're talking about, you know, Cecily and Gus and, and Juliet and ordinary people. Like, where would they get the power to do this stuff? You see, we've had Jesus in a special category and then Jesus upsets the apple cart by thinking, well, by telling 12 ordinary people, very ordinary people, that they must go do the stuff he was doing. And just in case we think then that we want to put them on a little pedestal and make them exceptional, then he tells 72 other people to do it. 
And then when we get to the book of Acts, we find people who weren't part of the 72 are also doing it. Namely, you know, later converts like Saul and Stephen and Barnabas and people who, you know, Paul says, I didn't even know him according to the flesh. In other words, as an ordinary man. But he's doing the Jesus stuff. In other words, the moment we try and make little boxes for people and say, that was then, but this is now. We start missing the point because he has the temptation. We want to make our mission something we have the power to do. And we've got to avoid that temptation. Why? Think of Jesus standing in front of those group of 12 people who've been pretty much blown away for the last few months walking with Jesus. And he gives them these instructions. And because he's standing in front of them, something in them like thinks, okay, well, let's go give it a try. I mean, what do we got to lose? You know, I mean, it could be embarrassing, but the heck. But the truth of it is, is that the same grace and power that was available when Jesus was physically standing in front of them is available to us right now. That's, that's the message consistent throughout scripture now i don't want to spend too much time because actually in this series we've looked at this stuff under a five or six week sub course called the power of ministry remember that we looked at how god's succession plan cascades i want to look at the missional side of it rather than as it were the ministry side which can be inside or outside and by the way the gifts of the church obviously build up the body but they also equip the body and they are meant for mission there's this thing that says you do the gifts inside the church to the church for the church well then what about evangelism makes no sense jesus didn't limit the ministry in the gifts to people in fact the way he pastored people with gifts of wisdom words of encouragement and hope and healing so often the gifts were for people to whom he was on mission of course we build up the body with these gifts but that's not where they get that's not where they stay the movement into mission so the first thing I see is this freely you have received really give there's this faith to reproduce to cascade for the thing to pass on you receive and you give it away it it happens in you too and the interesting thing is jesus received as well so in john he says everything i have received from the father i've made known to you there's this cascading through jesus by the spirit from the father that defines his ministry and he now begins to see the same thing and Jesus believes that these 12 and others, the 72 and more, will join the team of harvesters. Jesus believes this gospel is so powerful that as they preach the same message, do the same ministry, live by the same grace, and flow from the same source, Jesus expects the echoes of Genesis 1 to become loud and clear and stop being echoes but actually be manifest in the day the rule of god is coming through people on the earth he intends the same for us 
really, 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 the cascade of the kingdom continues. You receive, you give. Jesus is the faith to believe that the very people who need to be reached, I've said this before, he didn't have a mega church in Nazareth that he secretly was thinking about when, when he said we need harvesters. He believed that the harvest workers would be from the harvest itself. That they'd go from being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd to literally bringing the sheep home. He believes you and I, no matter what we are facing, no matter what heartache, what distraction, what struggle, if we'll let the kingdom into our lives can become the part of the healing of the world. Now, really interesting because he says that announcing or proclaiming the kingdom is literally part of making it happen. The old-fashioned word here is herald, which in the days before Gutenberg and printing and information technology, kingdoms were established by proclamation. Literally, the word was spoken by a herald. So a herald would come into a town and he would announce that there's been a battle and so and so won. So now Yorktown is under the rule of XYZ. And that proclamation let you know who was king because a herald had spoken. And they would go through the realm and whether it was promulgating new laws, declarations made by the king, in the act of speaking, the rule changed. That's the mindset. You proclaim the kingdom of God. You literally change the legal framework that operates when you preach or proclaim. Now, we, we've translated this preach the word, and we say that preachers are heralds, and of course we are, and that's part of what's happening. And sometimes, even as a preacher is speaking, you sense something change. Like literally, and you're thinking, oh, it's just me. No, something changes in the speaking, the proclamation of God's will and his word. Interesting that you don't have to explain this kingdom, you must just proclaim it. Sometimes things will happen way beyond your ability to explain. And this good news comes, and one of the first things it says is it's time for change. Repent. Break with the old ways of thinking and loving and living and whatever. And if you want to move into the kingdom, get ready for big change. Repent. That's, of course, back in Matthew 4. You see, we're never going to get the proclamation right until we're willing to go undergo the transformation ourselves. The third thing I want to just point out is that disciples are only ever made the way Jesus made them. We've tried to come up with our own methodologies and, and then we wonder why church is rather lame. And, and I mean that in the generic sense and I mean that in the medical sense. Church is missing limbs and it lacks power and it lacks agency. Jesus said, the student is not above the teacher nor the servant above his master, but it is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. And elsewhere he says, when a servant or a disciple is fully trained, he will be like 
his master. She will be like her master. Jesus had a way of doing this. Now this frames in the wider course again. And that's why we go to these. Uh, we, we're trying to understand this theology of discipleship. Because that's what this whole big course is about. Disciples are only made the way Jesus made them. And the first is in real accountable community. And these people got close enough to each other to really know each other and get irritated by each other at times, as James and John found out and Peter found out. But they were learning in that community the habits and patterns of Jesus and they were ministering with the gifts of the Holy Spirit as Jesus did and hopefully producing the kind of love that Jesus released in people. And they were taking real risks with real rewards and sometimes it didn't work. So we read in Mark, for example, that the Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Peter, James, and John are with him. The other nine disciples are hanging around, you know, waiting in the nearby town. People come and they bring a demonized boy for deliverance. And the disciples fail. Like real life people. Real life disappointment. I know that we sometimes workshop these things and it is good to learn how to share your faith or pray for someone or whatever but overwhelmingly even in those workshops all i have to say to you is you're doing ministry you only learn to do it by doing it you only learn to pray when you pray i mean you can listen to a hundred people pray and all you'll do is be impressed with their prayers it's when you take the risk and maybe you've sensed something really powerful in the words they pray. And you take those words and you make them your own. I mean, even the gift of tongues. Now, I mean, some people might think it's completely radical. But most often you just got to start by opening your mouth and saying something that you heard someone else say. And before you know it, you'll be saying things they didn't say teaching you look at a teacher and you do what they do and then you find out how much grace is flowing through you or hospitality you've got to invite people you know to come and give it a go and then things start to happen you see we take real risks with real life people and that can be with a rather complicated bunch i mean you know <laughs> there were these elite nouveau rich guys like matthew rich tax collector and common fishermen. They were activists and terrorists. They were doubters and guys with faith to zap whole towns with fire from on heaven, from heaven. Guys who spoke too much and people who prayed too little and people who competed for the top spot and who refused to serve when Jesus forgot to arrange a foot washer on, the last on his last night before he died. Wasn't a great community, but disciples are only made in real community with real risks with real people. Can you see that stepping into mission is never stepping away from community? Because we make disciples the great commission. And I've often thought that, you know, how often it must have been in their minds to tell Jesus, Jesus, you're amazing and I love following you. But really, could we do without the rest of these clowns? You know, like just. <laughs> so disciples only made the way Jesus made them. 
because we're doing a theology of discipleship. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, I want you, when you've made these disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, teaching to obey everything and teaching everything are two different things. Teaching everything is making sure that the syllabus is complete. Teaching to obey everything, it's like a thorough ingrained training that has to get into people's lives. He's not just giving the curriculum. He's not just saying, don't leave anything out. You see, the pro we have not obeyed until we have taught others to obey. We have not obeyed the Great Commission until we have taught. And in the, in the Hebrew mindset and world, that would have meant demonstrated, equipped, and trained. Given the necessary information and opportunity and application. And of course, we would appreciate this. You, you would want, if you needed heart surgery, for example, someone who's actually been trained and so not just someone who's heard about heart surgery. You see, disciples don't just attend, admire, listen, or appreciate. They master both theory and practice. They learn to do. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is what I do. Now go do. <laughs> learn to do. So when Peter was walking on the water towards Jesus, he was being discipled. He was learning to do Jesus' stuff. He was learning to do completely impossible, ridiculously impossible stuff. I mean, it's not like, you know, heaven pressed pause on the laws of nature or whatever. Without the power of God and the Holy Spirit, it was completely impossible. There's nothing natural about that. And the interesting thing is the other guys in the boat were watching, but they weren't learning. I mean, they may have remembered. Maybe it helped them later. But they never walked as Jesus walked in those moments. And just before this overwhelms us, and I'm going to wrap up with this thought. Jesus gives this list of impossible instructions and then he says freely you have received freely give you see grace is freely available Jesus the gospel is not a self-help scheme we never self-atone and we never self-empower you try that you've lost Jesus at the center and in the totality and we call it the heart of grace in the kingdom of God. You see, there's a throne of grace, Hebrews 4. Like the kingdom, like is seated on a throne called grace. In the Old Testament, it's called the mercy seat. And this grace, in Jesus, one of his parables, Jesus tells us that this kingdom Being at hand is like getting an invitation to a magnificent banquet that's prepared by a king. And the king lays the table. Like, you don't come and, like, go into the king's kitchen and prepare the menu and say, this is what we're all going to eat now. You, you don't decide the menu. 
It's the king's banquet. It's his menu. It's his table. He prepares the food. We are his guests. Everyone is invited, but it's on his terms. It's his table. You see, the danger is that we might want to come to the king's table and then tell him what he's got to serve us. You and I could never come up with something as beautiful as grace. We could never come up with something as powerful as freely you have received, now freely give. And so there's this open invitation, the freedom of free. But maybe this morning, we all struggle with disqualification, the lie of disqualification. Maybe the king's like that, but can I come? Can I really come? Surely this is not for me. It's for people who pray more or give more or love more. It's for people who haven't screwed up and live with my regrets or my problems or my guilt. See, the lie of disqualification doesn't believe the words freely you have received. It says somehow you've earned the kingdom. Somehow you've earned his love. Somehow you must earn his grace. Somehow you must do something to make this possible. What we need to understand is this word freely and this invitation to a banquet is not because of what you or I have done but because of the king who gives so freely. And at the heart of this freely is something that would happen to Jesus at the end of his life, namely he'd go to a cross and he would die for our sins. You see, through his death and resurrection, Jesus makes transferable the impossible. Through his death and resurrection, until we die with Christ and rise with him, we do not have the grace freely flowing into us. And so it cannot freely flow from us. Because he was excluded and cut off we can, by faith, be included and welcome to the table of the free gift of God's love. Jesus, the one who invites us, is the one who was cast out. The one who says you can live is the one who loved you enough to die. That is what freely costs. It cost him everything. So that you could get what you cannot pay for. It's not through your goodness. The lie of disqualification is you've got to be good enough and you're not. So it disqualifies you. Don't expect healing. Don't expect you know, something that's dead to live again. Don't expect the outcast to be included. Why? Because you're not 
good enough. The lie of disqualification. Jesus was good enough to go to a cross so that you could be qualified as a minister of the new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3. He was excluded so that we by faith can be included and freely receive God's gift of grace. But we must receive it. Freely you have received. John writing in his prologue, the Apostle John at the beginning of his gospel says this, he came to that which was his own. But his own, talking of Israel, received him not. Jesus came and a bunch of people did not receive him you know what they lost out on that grace but it says this to all who received him and yes how you receive to those who believed in his name he gave the authority and right kingdom language to become the children of god born not of natural descent or of a husband's will but born of god you see, your qualification does not depend on who you are, but whose you are. And whose you are, well, that's an expression of love that you could not earn. See, as we want to step into the power of ministry, as we want to step into the experience of mission, Jesus' way, and he wants to reproduce his life in us, the one thing we've got to realize at the very center is the thing that we can't do that Jesus did, which is to activate grace. We can only receive it. You can just say, God, I know I don't deserve it. But today, because of Jesus, I receive it by believing in his name. By believing in his name. Freely you have received. So the question as we moving into kingdom ministry. Moving into mission. How freely am I receiving? How freely am I receiving? Holy Spirit, am I believing the lie of disqualification? Like, do I think this is for someone else? Jesus means you. He wants this for you. He's not disqualifying you. He is qualifying you. The question then becomes is, have I believed? Will I receive this by believing? Will I say yes to his truth and ultimately yes to his name? 
if I freely let that grace and power begin to flow into me, that's what's going to activate what flows through me. Freely you've received, now freely give. You see, until it's flowing freely into me, it's never going to flow freely from me. Mission starts with an encounter with the grace you can't earn or deserve. That's not a rebuke. That is the most liberating thing you can ever know. Mission starts with an encounter with grace that you can never earn or deserve. Freely, you've received and so, Father, we want this life-giving, healing power, this inclusive, leper-delivering power to begin to flow freely in us. Damon Carol, I think we need to go back to there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and I'll still find there's none like you. Is there anyone this morning? You've been living under the lie of disqualification. You've not been able to receive because you've believed something about the powerlessness of Jesus to set you free. You've believed that you're the exception to his death and resurrection and its fruit and power. And you think this is for other people and God is saying, no, this is for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. It's for everyone God will call. You are not disqualified. No matter what else is going on, if you'll let me come, you are not disqualified. Have the courage to stand. I want to pray for you. You are not disqualified. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Whatever else is going on, the enemies wanted to cancel your witness, your participation in the kingdom, bringing his love and his grace into the lives of others. And he's saying, you are not disqualified. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave authority to be called, described, known as the sons and daughters of God. Lord, we receive a fresh release of the grace of God. We say no to this lie of disqualification. Maybe if you're standing this morning, I, I want you to, in your mind's eye, take a piece of paper. Can you see it? And on it is written the big words, black on white, disqualified. Now you look to your right. There's a hammer. On your left is a nail. And in front of you is a cross. I want you to take that piece of paper and pin it to that cross 
and say, today I nail disqualification and its lie and its spirit and its power to the cross of Jesus Christ. Will you nail it? You're going to nail it there because it's going to stay there. It's going to leave you. Drive home that nail into the cross that has paid it all. So, Father, you've cancelled the power of the principalities and the authorities by nailing all this to the cross. There's a new power that's coming into my life, into my room. Father, what do you want to give me in place of disqualification? Just receive it. I can tell you now, some of you are receiving literally healing power. Let's all stand, actually. Let's all stand. It's not just now these guys. We're all doing business with God.